Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. with you Wednesday afternoon edition of Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey, Brian Haydad Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online you can find them at mslandbank.com Mississippi Land Bank where they know the lay of the land. Glad to have you along for the ride. You can text the show on the C Spire text line 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Good to be with you, boys. How's your Wednesday? Wednesday's good. I am just now, as if you listen to the show every day, you know I'm just now into Major League Baseball, making it a point. And so I followed a bunch of new Twitter accounts that are you know, showing highlights and stuff. I have never heard, this is probably an indictment on me, of Jose Alvarado before. So you're following Rob Friedman's Twitter account now? I'm following a bunch of them. Um, But this video of Jose Alvarado, the left-handed relief pitcher for the Rays, and he threw a 99-mile-an-hour cutter that moved eight inches. It started on the inside corner of the plate and went in towards the batter from the left side. How does anybody score runs in Major League Baseball anymore? It's hard to be a hitter. That, so, so that video originated with Rob Friedman, who on Twitter is at Pitching Ninja. If you've not followed that account and you like baseball even a little bit, or even if you don't like baseball but you just like watching little video snippets uh, where people look ridiculous and you go, how is that even humanly possible? You should follow that that account. Again, Pitching Ninja on Twitter. Yeah, it's really it's incredible. There's no way that's a cutter at 99 miles an hour. I don't know what it is, is that but that, that kind of movement, I mean, what is it? It's definitely possible. I mean, I guess it could be a cutter that hard. I mean, you generally think two-seam fastball when it's moving that much. It's impressive, though. Certainly is impressive. Hey, Dad, how's your Wednesday? My Wednesday's going great. Having a great day. I feel really good today. I'm glad. Been a good Get a little uh, little football action post-show yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, got to, that was enjoyable. Got to go out to the practice field. Uh, and then I'm, I'm, I'm just having a good day. I'm in a good mood. I don't know why that is. I'm not going to question it. How about because the sun's out, it's like 72 degrees, and there's not a cloud in the sky? That's certainly a part of it. Gorgeous day here in Starkville. Yeah. Yep. It's uh, pretty impressive, uh, pretty fantastic all over 
uh, the state of Mississippi. Um, so here's what we're going to get into this afternoon. It is now official. Texas A&M has hired Buzz Williams to be their new basketball coach, and another elite basketball coach is now in the SEC. He's expected to make a minimum of $3.5 million a year at Texas A&M. I thought Borky said it well. We were talking... Uh, our, our little pre-show meeting, our very unofficial pre-show meeting. He said it's almost like Texas A&M has just realized that it has kind of a checking account that doesn't have a limit on it. Makes sense, right? Yeah, it's about time. I mean, they they had, and we've been talking about it for years, right, where it, it feels like they're a sleeping giant, but they were never a giant to begin with, so it's hard to call them a sleeping giant when they were never that size, but... The financial backing that they have should have more success than they have had. I mean, they raised, it's still hard to fathom, they raised $450 million on a new football stadium in less than a year. And now they're finally waking up to realize if we just throw a bunch of money at elite coaches, we're going to get a few of them. Not to mention they're in the state of Texas, where the recruiting ground is fertile. And it's fertile for a couple of reasons. On the football front... It's fertile because every boy, age four and up, seemingly, plays football in the state of Texas. But beyond that, Texas is just so flipping big. you got so many people, and so even the random kids that don't play football, you've got basketball players, you've got baseball players. Yeah, you got a bunch of schools in Texas, but goodness gracious, there's just so much talent in that state. And so you've got a fertile recruiting ground. You've got elite facilities. Basketball is the one exception there. The Reed Arena, where they play basketball, is kind of a weird place. It feels more like a, it feels more like a theater almost than it does a basketball arena. And yet it still seats 12,000. So when they fill it up, it's a tough place to play. It would not shock me at all if in the next six months you heard Texas A&M announce plans for a new basketball arena. As part of maybe what they lured Buzz Williams to uh, to College Station with, uh, that wouldn't be surprising at all for them to drop 150, 200 million dollars on a new basketball facility because their football stadium is second to none. The baseball stadium, Bluebell Park, is just spectacular, and then the basketball facility is just very ho hum. Now. It might be a little complicated to do it because they recently did a, a practice facility and just an incredible locker room setup that's attached to the arena. So they may have to uh, kind of be creative in the way they go about doing it. Maybe it's just a major renovation to the existing facility. But that wouldn't surprise me at all to see that coming. I got an interesting Buzz Williams story. I, I'll, I'll share this with you. He was, you know, before he kind of began his rapid ascension in the coaching world. Uh, Marquette, where he had a bunch of success, obviously recent success at uh, at Virginia Tech. He was a basketball coach at the University of New Orleans. And before he was at UNO, he was an assistant at Texas A&M. So this is a guy that went to school at Oklahoma City University. And I think was like a manager but loved basketball. I mean, look at the guy. You, you can look at him and know that he didn't play basketball, certainly not at a high level. And, and that's not being disparaging. He's just not, he doesn't have a basketball physique. But he was that rare guy 
that lived and died by the handwritten note. And he was telling me this story. So when he was at UNO, they played Ole Miss in a basketball game that was on CSS. And it was one of those games that nobody cared about, and so CSS got the rights, and it was one that I got to do play-by-play for. So in visiting with him before the game, and you know, kind of got to talk to him a little bit, and I, I asked him about that story of handwritten notes. He said, oh, I, I used to write notes to everybody, and still do. And that is something that leaves an impression. And so there was this just insatiable work ethic that went along with Buzz Williams in trying to climb the coaching ladder. Because he didn't have the connection of being a player and, and going back and you know being an assistant for the, the guy that he played for or developing connections along those lines. He literally climbed the coaching ladder from absolutely nothing. And he did the most impressive thing because on the scale of television broadcasters, at the time, this game was on CSS and I was less than nothing. Like, I was below the bottom rung on the play-by-play ladder. Game ends... Ole Miss wins the game. He shakes hands with coaches, and I look up as we're sitting there at the table. We've just gone off the air, and here comes Buzz Williams walking across the court to shake my hand and say, hey, thanks for what you're doing, good luck to you, hands me a business card and says, if you never, if, if you ever need anything, don't hesitate to reach out. You still got that card? Because I know somebody I know that would like to reach out, and his name is me. <laughs> my my guess is his cell number has changed a time or two since then. First year of coaching, he lived in the dorm and slept on a cot and worked for free and got free postage from the campus post office because he sent so many daily. I've heard him tell that story on a podcast before. Pretty remarkable stuff. Yeah. I mean, it, it was literally anybody that he met that he thought could potentially help his career because what he wanted to do was be a basketball coach. He reached out to them via a handwritten note and followed up and stayed in touch. And so so 1994 to 1998, he's an assistant at Texas Arlington. He goes for a couple of years to Texas A&M Kingsville. He's an assistant at Northwestern State for a year, an assistant for four years at Colorado State, an assistant at Texas A&M, finally gets a head coaching job at UNO, spends two years there, then goes to to be an assistant. He leaves a head coaching job at New Orleans to be an assistant at Marquette, ultimately gets the Marquette job. He's the head coach there for six or seven seasons, then gets into the ACC with Virginia Tech, and now the guy's making $3.5 million flying on a private jet to Texas A&M sent to Blacksburg, Virginia, to bring him to College Station to be introduced as the next head coach. It's hard not to like a guy and cheer for a guy that has worked that hard to get to the spot that he's in. It is if you're really? a fan of another SEC school. <laughs> no, I, I, I get what you're saying. But, but even in that scenario, you're talking about a guy who has not been handed anything, has paid his dues in a really big way, and has seen it paid off in the last decade or so. We've got a bunch to get to. Kendall Rogers is going to join us this afternoon. We're also going to talk with uh, Ryan Brown from Jocks in Birmingham. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Yeah, we've talked a good bit the last couple of days about baseball and kind of the results of the weekend focused on Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Take a quick peek back at the weekend that was in the SEC and look ahead to what is coming up this weekend 
Here we are. You know, we've said it, you've heard it, and it just feels like something that you say. Like you wait for a long time for the baseball season to get here, you blink once conference play starts, you blink again, and you're to the SEC tournament. Well, there there might be one blink in between. We're into week four. We've already got three of the ten weeks out of the way moving toward week four. Last weekend, uh, we know that LSU took two of three over Mississippi State in Starkville. Ole Miss went on the road and got two of three against Arkansas. Georgia went to Kentucky, won the first game on Thursday night, got shut out in game two, and then turned around and won game three. Have you guys watched Georgia at all? This year, have you caught any of their games on television? I know a couple of them have been on TV. They had a, a good win last night against Clemson. Hey, Dad, have you, have you caught any Georgia? I, I haven't had so a chance. To, I haven't had a chance to see Georgia. I just, I just know what I see on Twitter that they are quietly one of the best teams in the SEC. I think all the the focus was on Vanderbilt, LSU early, Mississippi State, Florida, and, and but but Georgia is a team that that has sort of under the radar elevated itself. Georgia right now is 24 and 5 overall and 7 and 2 inside the SEC. They are on top of the East, a game in front of Vanderbilt and three games in front of Florida. And then everybody else is chasing. Everybody else in the East has a losing record. So only two teams in the East have a winning record, Georgia and Vanderbilt, everybody else with a losing record. So a chance to make some noise and rattle some cages this weekend. Hey dad, to your point, Vanderbilt is at Georgia for a three-game series. That's a really big series this early in the season. I mean, oh. the winner of that is going to be in really good shape in the East. Yeah, and if if Georgia were to win that series and be, what, two games up with a tiebreaker on Vanderbilt at yeah. this point, yeah. um, it would be pretty impressive. Or would that make them three games up? Let's see, if, if Georgia were to get two, they would be nine and three – and Vanderbilt would be seven and four. They'd be two games that up. right. Seven, seven and, five. and five. They'd be two games up. So yeah, they'd be two games up on uh, on Vanderbilt if that's uh, that turns out to uh, to be the case. Um, Florida got the weekend that they needed, right? So so Alabama came to Oxford and got one in week one. They hosted Arkansas and got one in week two. And it feels like that's what Alabama is kind of going to do this year. They're going to be that team that probably doesn't win more than one, maybe two series throughout the course of the season. But most weekends, they're going to manage to pick off a game. But they had to go to Gainesville. Florida very much had its had its back against the wall after a 1-5 and five start to league play, and they got a sweep. And so to kind of further the conversation that we've had over the last couple of weeks, sweeps are massive in both directions. You get a sweep, you got a chance to make up serious ground. You get swept, you fall in a hole that is really hard to dig yourself out of. And now Florida, at 4-5, and five, still within striking distance. And that's who Ole Miss has got coming to Oxford this weekend. Really important series for both teams, too, because it feels like they're still in a fragile area where a sweep or two out of three could really put them behind the eight ball, given what they have in front of them on the schedule. Although Florida's was a pretty brutal start. It was. Yeah, it absolutely was. Auburn went to South Carolina. That's another team that's kind of operating quietly. They got two of three from the Gamecocks on the road. So you've got Auburn sitting there at six and three in the league, twenty-two and seven overall. And Auburn has a road series win against Mississippi State, a road series win 
against South Carolina. They didn't win the series and against Mississippi they, State. They won the game. They, they didn't win the series against Mississippi State. I'm sorry. You're right. They had an opening weekend sweep. They got a game against Mississippi State and then a road series win against South Carolina. So, thank you for the correction there. Yeah. Um, pretty good team, right? They're very good. I mean, this is what we, we talked about it before the uh, the season started. There just weren't any off days in the SEC. The every weekend is going to be a challenge, top to bottom. And Auburn is a team that you know we thought might be a middle of the pack kind of team, but they've elevated themselves. And you know, when you have the best pitcher in the SEC, and that's probably what Tanner Burns is going for you every Friday night. You know, it's just a matter of getting another win. And, and you can do that. State's doing that right now with Ethan Small and Ginn. You know, if one of them can win, you just got to find one more win in the in the, th- in the other two. So, yeah, Auburn is – they've been surprisingly good, in my opinion. Vanderbilt got two of three at Tennessee this weekend. So kind of a rivalry series there. They won um, They won game two big. They won that one 10-4. Game one in the series was close, though. It was a 4-2 to two win for Vanderbilt, and then Tennessee was able to salvage one 7-6. I only point the scores out because that's where Mississippi State's going this weekend. And so you look at Vanderbilt, a top-five team in the country, they play a close game, get a convincing win, and lose a game to, to get a series win. And feels like it's kind of a comparable scenario this weekend with Mississippi State going to Knoxville to face Tennessee. And it will be interesting to see. A series win this weekend, if Mississippi State goes and gets two of three from Tennessee, you feel like it was a good weekend, right, Hey Dad? Absolutely. Absolutely. Back on track. The, the the thing I'm looking for the most this weekend is JT Ginn. I want to see how he back bounces back from his first real adversity uh, as a collegian. Uh, I want to see how he pitches this weekend. I, I, you know, I have faith in Small to get the win on Friday night. We'll see what happens on Saturday and Sunday. And of course, yeah, with Sunday, you know, how how is State going to manage the the pitching situation? Will they will they have a starter? Will they they try to piece it together by committee? And it doesn't really matter if they're only going to score two runs. They got to do better than that from what they did in Game Three last week. But how they handle that is is of interest to me. Well, and I thought what Chris Lamonis said when we talked to him on Monday was interesting. When I was asking him kind of about the difference from late in the game on Thursday through the rest of the weekend, and he kind of laughed and he said Ethan Small was the difference. Yeah. He said if you look, he came out of the game and all of a sudden LSU started swinging the bat. So it kind of underscores the importance of one. Ethan Small getting deep into a game, and two, Mississippi State scoring some runs for Ethan Small because the margin of error becomes a whole lot smaller once you get it into the bullpen, no pun intended. I I do wonder this weekend, starting this weekend, with the bullpen problems you've been having, if you try to get a little bit more out of Small and Ginn if he's pitching well. you know Both those guys have pretty much come out every game, fifth, sixth inning. Do you try to get them into the seventh if you can and, and limit that bullpen as much as possible? Texas A&M and Missouri played last weekend. They went 1-1-1. One, one, and one. We talked about that on Monday. Um, A&M got a win, Missouri got a win, and then they were uh, tied in the 10th inning and had a travel suspension in, uh, in that game. And so we all now, as we're dealing with records, instead of just looking at wins and losses, we've got to look at percentage points for the uh, rest of the year. Thank you so much, uh, travel policy and commercial flights. Get a charter! Jeez! Sorry. Um... With that said, Kentucky goes to Missouri this weekend. And the one thing that we know about Missouri, based on the results of their game so far, so a, a series where they got swept in Fayetteville, a series win against Ole Miss, and a split series, 1-1-1 one, one, and one, against Texas A&M, the Missouri Tigers can pitch it. 
They don't scare you offensively, but they can flat throw the baseball. That's, that's, a, enough. that's enough to win sometimes. It is. Doesn't it feel like this is an important weekend for those two? Okay, Kentucky-Missouri, that's not the series this weekend that's going to draw any attention. But knowing that only 12 of the 14 teams in the league get to the tournament, and Kentucky's sitting there at 1-8, and eight, Missouri's 3-5, and five. you got Alabama on the West, I mean, over on the Western Division side, doesn't it feel like it's Missouri, Kentucky, maybe South Carolina and Alabama that are fighting it out for those last two spots in the SEC tournament? Yeah, you saw so. Yeah, it took where I was going with that. I mean, the loser of this series is probably going to have trouble making it to Hoover. Missouri, Kentucky, unless they've made a change, will, I believe, be lefty versus lefty all three days. Mm. Oh, wow. Wait, I thought Missouri so you don't couldn't anticipate go to just a ton of offense. Why can't Missouri go to Hoover? Borky, that is why we pay you the big bucks. Oh, that's I completely right. forgot about that. Yeah. I didn't think about that. Post Postseason ban. And I don't like their chances the- as much. <laughs> They're playing spoiler the whole year. Eesh. What a what an awful deal for Missouri. But that's where it is. Unless uh, unless the NCAA despi- decides to move with uh, with some pace and get that decision out there, and they overturn the baseball postseason ban, wouldn't necessarily anticipate that uh, that happening. So. It's kind of a look at what happened last weekend and some of the implications. So this weekend it's Mississippi State at Tennessee, Arkansas at Auburn, big series in the West, Vandy at Georgia, big series in the East, South Carolina at Alabama, big series for that one kind of team not making it to Hoover. Kentucky at Missouri, same scenario, especially for Kentucky. Florida at Ole Miss feels big for both of those teams. And Texas A&M in Baton Rouge. LSU all of a sudden playing some better baseball. Texas A&M has been pretty good, maybe even better than expected. Played in front of a record crowd last night in Austin at Dish Falk and won that game 9-6 against Texas. Fun times in the SEC. We'll keep the baseball conversation going when we come back and chat with Kendall Rogers from D1 Baseball on the Farm Bureau phone line. Middle of the week, Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. That's Mississippi Farm Bureau. Let's go to Texas and talk to Kendall Rogers from D1 Baseball. Were you in Austin last night for a really not. cool scene with A&M in Texas? I was not there, but I did watch it. It was, a, it was kind of a blowout for A&M there early, and Texas kind of rallied back and made it interesting. But, yeah, it seemed like a lot of fun. Nearly 8,000 people. Did I hear them say on television that was a record crowd for any baseball game at the University of Texas? It was. So it's interesting. Both of those fan bases claim they're not real rivals, but yet uh, every time one of them plays with the other, it's record crowd. So go figure. Yeah, time to time to put away with that nonsense. Is there a scenario where instead of just playing a midweek game each year, those two might team up for a series, like a home-and-home home for, for a couple of years and, uh, and and play a three-game series early in the year? You know, I know there's been discussions. Uh, I, I know I would be a huge proponent of it. I, you know, I actually really like the way South Carolina and uh, Clemson do their annual series where they 
you know, do one home game each and then go to a neutral site. It's a little harder here because there's not really anywhere between uh, Austin and uh, College Station. But you can also go down to, like, Sugarland and the Houston suburbs and one of those minor league parks and do it. But uh, I have no doubt that they should do uh, a three-game series. I think it would be a lot of fun. That, that would certainly be a uh, an entertaining early season event. Kendall, what did we learn in Starkville last weekend? LSU gets two or three. Mississippi State got game one. Ethan Small was really, really good. Again, yeah. JT Ginn got hit around for the first time this season. And then LSU kind of cruised in the final game of the series. Is LSU all of a sudden right? Is there anything to worry about with Mississippi State? Well, two things. I think LSU's playing a lot better. I think even when you look back at that uh, Georgia series, I thought LSU did play a little bit better in that series. So, uh, obviously, that's big news for LSU because, you know, we, we've all known they got it in the tank, but they're finally starting to put all the pieces together. And, I, and honestly, guys, like, I feel like it's, it's like a broken record at this point. Like, Paul Maneri does this every year. Like, I feel like LSU always goes to the conference play hobbling a little bit, and they figure things out by about week two or week three. And so, uh, LSU, obviously, Eric Walker, the way he threw on, on the series finale was very encouraging for the Tigers moving forward. But, you know, as it pertains to Mississippi State, uh, you know, there, are, there is at least one concern, and that's, you know, the inability to, to close things out on Sunday. Uh, yeah, I think in this league, uh, you, you can't expect to go 2-0 and every single weekend to start the weekend. So if you're State, uh, you've got to find the right mix in the series finale to be able to, you know, take these series that, that, you know, will involve rubber matches. So I think if there's one concern for me, even though they didn't have a great offensive day in the finale, I, I talked that up more to Walker than their offense. I, I feel very good about this team offensively. Uh, I feel very good about the front of the rotation. And I still like the bullpen, but they need to figure out the right formula, uh, you know, in that series finale. Kendall's Brian Haydad. With JT Ginn, how do you think he's going to bounce back from, from facing the first real adversity of his career? Yeah, I mean, we'll find out. You know, the thing about JT is that, you know, the, the fact that he's been this good so far tells me that he's probably pretty mentally strong because you don't go to Florida and win and, and go to places like that and win uh, if you're not pretty mature and, and mentally strong. So I think he'll be fine. You know, Tennessee will be an interesting test for him. They're not going to blow you away offensively, but they've got some guys that can get on base and uh, cause a little havoc once they do get on base. So it will be a test for him, though a little bit different test, but – I would suspect he'll start pretty well. I, I just think when you look at what he's done so far this year, that leads me to believe that, that somebody who is going to be able to bounce back pretty quick. Kendall, with Ole Miss, they go on the road last weekend, and they're able to get two from Arkansas, yeah. and, and it happens after losing game one. I, I thought it was an impressive series win, and one that Ole Miss really, really needed to feel good about itself. But then they turn around and they lose to North Alabama yesterday, who was yeah. 285 in the RPI and was 5-21 and going into the game. I know these midweek games sometimes get away from you and you don't want to read too much into them, but what about this kind of Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, Ole Miss team? Yeah, it's scary. And it's one of those things you just do not want to get in the habit of being, especially as you get close to the postseason. Um, you don't want to be one of those teams you have no idea what to expect when they take the field. Uh, two things, though. Uh, I'm still not 100% still on the pitching. The, the pitching to me is a little erratic. Uh, too, I uh, did really like Doug McKay over the weekend. I know his stats didn't look great, uh, but I thought he battled really well. Uh, you know, Carl Lafferty was kind of telling me before the game that that's kind of his strong suit is that he's a kid that, you know, even if there was traffic on the bases, he's still the same demeanor, and I saw that. Uh, he was impressive. I think he's a really bright future at Ole Miss. Uh, and then I think Will Edwards, you know, he's still okay. The slider's a little flat, I thought. 
but, you know, he's 90-94 in his fastball. You can see why he's put up good numbers this year. Uh, and then, you know, Gunnar Hoagland, uh, you know, was was just okay. Um, and he was 88-91. I think I expected a little bit more velo out of him. But he was 88-91, and the stuff was okay. Uh, again, you can kind of see the projection there. But, you know, Ole Miss, you know, wants to win in the present. So, you know, I think the big key for them moving forward is I feel pretty good about Lethbridge. I feel pretty good about McKaysey. Uh, but it's really going to be up to the guys like Austin Miller, Tyler Myers, too, well over the weekend, Parker Gracie. I know yeah. his numbers don't look great, but he's thrown a lot better lately. So, uh, you know, pitching-wise, they've been a little erratic. I, I still love this team offensively. I mean, you look at that 3-4-5, uh, that's as good as anybody in the country with, with, with Keenan and, and Dillard uh, leading the way. Greg Kessinger, I thought, was impressive over the weekend. And, of course, Ryan Olenek. Uh, you know, has obviously had a great year as well. So, offensively, love this team. Uh, I think they're 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 right for putting up even bigger numbers they did over the weekend. Pitching wise, still some work to do. I think the, the, it's way too early, and I, I refuse to be the guy that says so. Are they going to host? Uh, we're not going to do that. But I will <laughs> say this: we were playing with some numbers yesterday. Ole Miss at yeah. fifteen and six in the non-conference with five non-conference games remaining. And it's it's one against Mississippi State and two against Southern Miss and then a midweek game with Memphis and with Arkansas mm-hmm. State. How much margin for error or, or what's kind of going to be the sweet spot for Ole Miss to play itself, not even into a national seed, but to a potential regional host kind of with what yeah. they'll have to do in league play, what they might need to do in Hoover, and how much margin for error they've got with those five remaining non-conference games? Well, the big thing if you're Ole Miss is, is look at the the, the uh, road record uh, sitting at six and six. If you're Ole Miss, you want to make sure you have a winning road record. I, I can't remember the last time someone had a losing road record is hosted, so that's a big key number that people don't often talk about, but it is very important to the committee. Uh, but honestly, uh, Richard, I think when you look at this team right now, you look at the, the RPI where it is in the in, you know 37 as of today. If they take care of business and league play like like I know they can. Uh, it's going to take care of itself. Uh, that 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 RPI is a little skewed because of that one loss to North Alabama. They dropped seven spots in one game, so they can make that up pretty easily by getting on the road this weekend and taking two or three from Tennessee. And here's the sweet thing about playing Tennessee is, you know, I think Ole Miss is probably favored in that series. And you know, Tennessee has a has a skewed RPI. Well, Tennessee's uh, RPI is sitting at seven right now. So you're talking Kendall, about it's Ole Miss at home against Florida this weekend with Mississippi State going to Tennessee. Yeah, okay, I'm sorry. I was looking at the wrong schedule. Uh, but, yeah, you know, there's plenty of opportunities uh, moving forward uh, for those guys to, to get RPI points. I wouldn't worry about that just now. Yeah, sorry about the schedule, Snap, here. No, no, I'm, I'm with you, and, and I feel like I do the same thing. When I've got, like, two or three schedules and an RPI sheet and all trying to juggle it all. Well, I'll say this. I, is, I, I'll certain... say this. It's not as bad as getting uh, – the other day we were doing our postseason podcast and Aaron Fitt called Southern Miss and Mississippi State. So it's not that bad. Yeah. Southern Miss is an interesting question as well. Um, yeah. We talked with Scott Barry. They're coming off a dis- disappointing weekend where they lose 2-3 or to UTSA. Um, it feels like this is a postseason team, but they're kind of up and down. Mm-hmm. They've, they've, they've struggled with some midweek. This has not been, uh, especially offensively, the typical Southern Miss team you see. It hasn't. And, you know, the big thing here is, you know, they expected Matt Walner to be a key piece in that weekly rotation. He obviously hasn't been able to be that because of the injury. Uh, and then offensively, um, he's not the guy that, that they thought he'd be either. I don't know if it's the injury that's kind of set him back a little bit from an offensive standpoint. We were talking about a guy who, you know, we kind of expected to hit 330 with probably 14 to 16 homers, uh, a lot of RBIs. 
And then so far this season, he's hitting in you know kind of that mid two hundred range with you know decent power, but not amazing power. So I think the big key for Southern Miss moving forward, uh, you know, they've done a nice job lately. But the big key for them moving forward uh, is they've got to get Matt Warner rolling. If they can get Matt Warner rolling, I think they kind of gravitate around him a little bit. And I think they they get rolling. But until that happens, uh, it's, it's hard to, to feel like this offense is going to go bonkers at any point, which is kind of weird because I'm with you. I, I feel like Southern Miss is one of those teams that you can kind of just throw in there as a good offensive club no matter what, what year it is. Hey, what do you know about Cal State Fullerton and Cal Poly? I'm doing that game on Saturday night in San Luis Obispo. <laughs> well, that's really random. But I, By the way, I've heard San Luis Obispo is beautiful, so enjoy your trip out there. That's what I've heard. There, but I've heard it's incredible. But, uh, uh, you know, I think the big thing with Fullerton is I don't know as much about Oh, Cal stop Poly, it. I, nobody I cares about that. I was just kidding. I was just kidding. Uh, okay. Nobody cares about that. <laughs> I was going to break it down for you. Fullerton, by the way, is one of those programs that uh, has a quite a postseason streak going. I think they last missed it in the early 90s. And they're, you know, again, we talk about the RPI. They're one of those, you know, one of those programs that's way down in the RPI now. They've got to have a very strong second half to get in. Yeah. Hey, 20 seconds. Is Georgia Vandy the best series in the country this weekend? Well, I would have to go with Stanford UCLA, number one versus number two. But boy, that's a good runner up. I'll tell you what, uh, Vanderbilt with JJ Bleday, he's red hot right now. And uh, Georgia, Scott Strickland's done a tremendous job with those guys. This year, Shank had a big game last night to get Clemson. You just need to jump on that D1 baseball jet and go back and forth between those two series. Thanks, Kendall. I should, man. Hey, dude, I'll just take you over to San Luis Obispo while I'm at it. I, I like that. That would make my travel easier. Sports Talk Mississippi, that's Kendall Rogers from D1 Baseball, the Farm Bureau phone line, asking Ryan what the punishment is for last place in their bracket challenge this year. Said he enjoyed that uh, last time you were on with us. I, I love how somebody just assumes I finished last, right? That the assumption? No, nobody was. They just for for whoever it no. is, whomever it is that finishes last. What's well, the, the punishment last. this year? Yeah, that was me. I finished last, Richard. Did you really? So, um, Again? so this year is going to be. You really eight. suck at this, you know. I really do. I really. <laughs> I, I would not argue with that. I think the numbers support that. I'm terrible at it. I I lost. This is it has become a tradition for me to lose a team in the Elite Eight in the very first game. Like, not the first day, but the first game CBS showed. Like, the very first one. I had Louisville, for whatever reason, in the Elite Eight, and uh, they lost right out of here. Yeah, I know. Um, So this year, we're doing the 10 State Challenge. So what I have to do is I have to have a uh, take a selfie at 10 state line signs in 48 hours, and I can't count Alabama as one. Um, and then I have to submit my travel plan to Jim and Lance, who I do the show with, and they get to add on five challenges in, um, in five of the states I'm in. So I have to execute uh, not only a state line sign, but also execute a challenge in one of those states. So um, as of right now, my plan is to fly to Providence, rent a car, and drive back to Birmingham. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'll give me 10 states there. Technically 11, but I don't get to count Alabama. So 10 states. <clears throat> and if I, I, do I was that, wondering um, if the Northeastern Corridor was going to fit into this. Yeah, you can't go west. I mean, mm-hmm. those states are so far apart, spaced out so much, you just cannot go west. Um, so, yeah, you, 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 the other option, 
um, is to fly to Maine and drive, uh, rent a car and drive to Philadelphia and then fly home from Philadelphia. So that, that's my other option. I'm weighing both of them. I, I did map out a plan before it's a lot of driving where I could um, stay in, uh, I believe, is Natchez the one that's right over, it's right over on the border, right? Right. On the Louisiana border. So I could stay there, spend the night in Natchez, and then kill Mississippi, uh, Louisiana, Arkansas. I think I can pick off part of Indiana, Illinois, Missouri, Tennessee, Kentucky. Uh, there was a way I could do it up on that path, but boy, it was a lot of driving. Um, so yeah, that, that's that's the punishment. So one of those three routes is the one I will take. Are, are you limited to the number of flights that you can take? No, you just have to complete it in forty-eight hours. Um, okay. So I guess I, you know, I could fly somewhere and then maybe fly overnight, take all five more, something like that. I just have to complete it in forty-eight hours. I can take as many flights as I want. Um, but you know, flight time is just feeding into my travel time. I can't take any state time photos when I'm flying. So I mean, if you've got a plan well, for well, it, well, well, I was thinking. I mean, you could you could knock out four if you flew west and you did the Arizona, New Mexico. Colorado, the four corners, whatever the yeah. Nevada, yeah. The, yeah if you you, you yeah. can knock out four corners, and then if there was a close airport, then you could go northeast and not have to. Yeah, I think the problem there is going to be close airport. That is in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, that's so, a good point. Yeah, I, I um, the, you know, I I'm leaning towards the northeast. That's what I'm leaning towards, and that's you know, look, I'm sure it's a beautiful drive down I-81. Who wouldn't want to make that drive? The other question that I have about this is, is completing the punishment, if that's what we're calling it, does that have to come out of your own pocketbook? Uh, indeed, yes. Yeah. Yep, yep. I paid for um, I paid for a trip to a Mac game. Our address is Bob Ross. Um, I paid for a trip to Monowai, Nebraska, and now I'll pay for this one. This one's not going to be terrible. Like the flight to Providence out of Atlanta. Um, I was looking out of Atlanta uh, just because I could fly direct there. Um out of Atlanta, the flight to Providence is only like one hundred and forty dollars, and I think I oh. can get the rental. I think I can get the rental car in at about two hundred. Um, it, it's slightly more expensive because I'm not returning it to where I rented it. Um, you know, I'm leaving it in Atlanta, yeah. um, so I think I can pull this one off for about three hundred fifty. Well, now I got to add hotel rooms. Probably five hundred dollars once it's all said and done. Which, as these go, that is that's not too bad. Five hundred dollars, not too bad. It. Are are you going to add sleep time in there? I mean, you you, you can't just stay awake for forty eight straight hours, can you? As of right now, the plan is to drive from Providence to Richmond, sleep in Richmond, and then finish off Richmond to Birmingham the next day. Um, Google Maps tells me it's an eighteen hour drive, so that would be nine and nine if I did those two. Okay, so that that's that's the plan as of right now. So I would sleep in Richmond, yeah. I once drove from New York City, from Manhattan to Memphis. Well, actually, to Jackson, Mississippi. And including sleep time, because we stopped and spent the night in Richmond, it was about 25 hours. Um, this was it was shortly after we got married. Great Oof. trip to New York. We, 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 flew yeah, up, we saw three Broadway shows, went to a Knicks game, shopped, ate just the best time. Nice hotel. Got back to LaGuardia, tried to check in for our flight, and this is two days before Christmas? Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm sorry. We don't have your reservation. Oh, wow. I said, 
what what do you mean? So they go digging, and we realize that our return flight was like an hour and a half after we landed. I had somehow screwed up booking the plane tickets. Unbelievable. So, so you so, rent a car and so drive So there's back no back. flight. Yes, because we, Jane was in pharmacy school at the time. So we had to, we, we came back. Her parents actually met us in Memphis because we were supposed to go to their house in, in the Mississippi Delta for Christmas. So I dropped her off in Memphis, went to Jackson, dropped off our clothes, got clean clothes, picked up Christmas presents, dropped the rental car off, the one-way rental car off at the Jackson Airport, got my truck, and then turned around and drove back to Clarksdale. Oh, Brilliant. Gosh. Well, that was a good test of your marriage. And I didn't even lose a bet. That. I know. I know. You got married. Uh, that's a good yeah. this is why I love our conversations because we've covered absolutely nothing but I'm certainly fascinated with our uh, with what we've talked about um, <laughs> let, let, let's try to hit two sports related things is there angst and moaning and crying and gnashing of teeth over the uh, the loss of the Birmingham iron um you know they were only averaging like 17,000. 16,000, so I, you know, they didn't have a huge fan base. So, I mean, there's a little bit. It's more so the fact that Birmingham continues to get burned by these leagues that, that somehow go one and dine. So, I mean, I think that's the thing. It's not necessarily that people are upset about the iron. It's just that they're upset that, you know, Birmingham, even if they didn't go to another game, it just it makes Birmingham look bad that we keep getting these leagues that can't survive in these fly-by-night leagues and teams. So, you know, I think people kind of enjoy going to the games. Like I said, there are only fifteen, seventeen thousand people at the games. I think one game had six or seven thousand. So it's not like they had built a huge following yet. Yeah. Um, how are you guys covering Auburn in the Final Four? I mean, if this were football, you, you would already be there, and you guys would be doing shows for the entire week, and every possible media availability would be covered. Uh, are people really locked in on Auburn? Yeah, they are. I mean, it's it's huge. Um, and, and and to answer your question, uh, Jim Benoit from my show and Landrum Roberts from Three Man Front that follows us um, fly out. Uh, I think they're flying out right about now, uh, headed to Minneapolis. So okay. they'll be doing their portion of the shows from up there and covering all that. No, it's a big deal. Um, there, all the fans are fired up about this, and um, you know, as it is, as look, I mean. Make no mistake, this is a football state. You guys know that. And Auburn's a football yep. school. But it's got the name on the jersey. And as the games increased with importance, more and more Auburn fans jumped on. And I'm not saying they're bandwagon fans. I'm just saying, you know, they've started paying closer attention. These are true Auburn fans. And, I mean, this, this the way this team has played, um, it has just kind of caught the imagination of these Auburn fans. And little by little, they've started to allow themselves to – see them cutting down the nets and raising the trophy. And uh, we'll see if it happens. I don't know. I mean, you know, I never thought they'd make the Final Four. I've, I've always wondered if a team in our state would ever make the Final Four. So they've already beaten a lot of odds. And, and to do it against Kansas, North Carolina, and Kentucky, that's insane. I mean, uh, not, not many teams in the history of basketball have ever done that. No. It, the, the, the route that they've taken to get there is absolutely impressive. Um, 30 seconds left. How many Auburn fans sure. do you think will, will be in Minneapolis? I don't know. You know, the ticket allotment was 3,500. I think some are going to wait and see what happens Saturday and then maybe fly up Sunday because you can get Final Four or championship game tickets. A lot of them hit the streets um, after the yeah. Saturday. So I, I think you'll I think you'll see a lot of them just kind of wait and see and then fly up. Pretty cool story. Ryan, always yeah, appreciate your time. Um, we'll, we'll see what you lose, uh, what you've lost next time we talk. 
Oh, yeah, I'd love to talk to you when I'm on the road. I'll let you know. That'll be fun. That's Ryan Brown. Maybe we can keep you company on the Farm Bureau phone line. We'll be right back. All right, yesterday we talked about the fact that the AAF has officially come to an end. You heard Ryan Brown say that there's no great morning in Birmingham, that they were averaging 17,000 a game and had 6,000 at a recent game as well. So really probably not that big of a deal. You do feel bad for the players. The only fun part that has come out of seeing the AAF crash is the back and forth between the head ball coach and Rick Neuheisel. So Spurrier called on video yesterday, feels bad for the players, says, but we got to be the champs, right? I mean, uh, go 7-1. and one. Everybody else, 5-3 uh, and three or worse, got the best record, so I guess we're the champs. Rick Neuheisel responded on Twitter yesterday, Congrats to the head ball coach and the Apollos for winning the East. The Hotshots won the West. How best should we play this off? Wait, we did. Hashtag shots are champs 22-17. To which Steve Spurrier, at Steve Spurrier UF on Twitter, if you're so inclined, Ricky New, too much tequila for you. Apollo seven and one, Hot Shots, San Antonio, Beham, all five and three. Congrats on second place. If anybody knows about too much tequila, I think it would be Steve Spurrier. I thought he was more of a banquet beer kind of guy, <laughs> like the original Coors with no shirt on the, the the deck of a boat. Yeah, that's what he does in the afternoon. But once the sun sets and he gets to put on his short sleeve button up shirt, he goes to tequila. Why can't we have more back and forth like that with college coaches? Oh, because they're too uptight. Everything is serious I, you know in the, the college football coaching world. It's part of the answer. And okay, Greg and Nettleton's going to get mad at me for bring, bringing up money. So hang on, Greg. I actually have a point here. This is not just for the sake of talking about money. You can text the show, by the way, 601 879 4395. We're paying college football coaches too much for them to have fun. Think about that. Let's rewind to the days of Steve Spurrier throwing jabs at Florida State, Free Shoes University. Can't spell citrus without UT, etc. We're talking early, mid-90s. How much money was Steve Spurrier making at Florida at the time? Five, six, maybe $700,000? Later in his career at Florida, gets to a million, and then the salaries just explode. But now, when you're paying your head football coach three to eight million dollars, depending on where you are, three to nine million dollars, three to ten million dollars, whatever the number is, they're scared to death to lose that salary if they say anything that is remotely controversial in this social media, Twitter, aha, gotcha world we live in. They're afraid they could be fired. Yeah, but... You get fired from a $350,000, $700,000 a year job, it's a really, really big deal. Let's not kid ourselves. But it's way different than being fired from a $3.5 million a year job or a $7 million a year job. These AAF coaches were making two fifty, And most of them probably had plenty of money anyway. Yeah, but Spurrier could, did this kind of stuff at South Carolina, though. 
Well, yeah, Mullen but he was, was he had already built. Say again, hey, Dad. Mullen was doing this stuff, the school up north, and he took he took his shots. Yeah, but his were more. He, he wasn't having fun with it. I think early on he was. It, it eventually became not fun. The, the thing Leach. with Steve Spurrier is he he kept winning. Yeah. Yeah. When Mike Leach and, is and not in that places, Dan Mullen ever. Go ahead. Well, and Mike Leach is at, at places where there, there's not so much demand for seriousness. I think the the layer to this and why we don't see it is because the fans wouldn't accept it. Could you imagine Mike Leach's personality with Alabama's fan base? No. Could you imagine how they would react to his quirkiness? They they wouldn't be able to stand it. I think it's the the fan culture that prevents fun. More so than the, there than the personalities themselves. You're onto something there because the first time a coach at Auburn or Alabama or Mississippi State or Ole Miss did something like this, the opposing team's fan base would just light up with, I mean, that's just not classy. That's not how we do things at School X. That's typical School Y behavior, and it would just go from there. And it, and it would it would turn Says something that is fun. the guy who is just angry about a couple of Mississippi State students throwing beer up in the air to celebrate a home run. That's a beer thing. It's right? a combination of moral beer. high ground and widespread paranoia. That's very deep. That's why you don't see it. I mean, it is. They're so paranoid about Whatever, it. Look at like media access. Like it's unbelievable. <laughs> and it does. It ends too. up doing the kids a disservice. And then they end up getting on the podium when the NFL and saying something really stupid on draft night for one. All right. So so let's play this out. Mike Leach as a head coach at an SEC school, which school would be the best fit for the pirate-loving swashbuckler Mike Leach? Vanderbilt. Missouri. Kentucky. Missouri. The schools that don't care. They don't care as much. I think and they don't have a natural in-state rival to, at a level. to jab at. It would fit it. I think it could fit at the Mississippi schools because it would. It would. He like if he's winning nine games a year in Pullman, Washington, like he would win at a level here that would satisfy people. But we still have that level of seriousness, though. There are people that would not be able to stand it. Mike Leach, after one loss, would get up at the podium on Monday and tell a joke or a dumb story, basically putting everything in perspective on, hey, this is just a game. We lost a football game. It's no big deal. Here's a story about how uh, one time I saw a raccoon in my driveway and he didn't run away right away and we had a stare down. And people would lose their minds because he's not talking about what they're going to adjust. Instead, he's rambling about whatever makes him happy that day. I think you're giving those people too much credit as far as their opinion mattering. Like, does Internet Good Tough point. Guy 69 like tweeting it might leak actually matter? No. It doesn't matter at all. No, that's exactly right. Is that your, is that your burner account, it. Rippy? What? Is that, is that your burner account? It is. So look for me out there. Egg profile <laughs> looks just like me. I'm going to search at Internet Tough Guy 69. Please let there be somebody with that. Please. That's going to be the new uh, the new parody account of Sports Talk MISS. Internet Tough Guy 69. Oh, I was Dang it, no results. Like a satirical comment. I had an account or like media outlet. Why don't you? What? 
What? Then do it. I think I just gave away my secrets. Well, I mean, you might have to come up with a new one. I mean, is Internet Tough Guy 67 taken? Um, it doesn't have Internet the same panache. might still be. It doesn't have the same cachet. Twitter's wide open for me. The potential's endless. What would you do with a, uh, a Twitter burner account? What would I do with a Twitter burner account? Yeah. What would what would be your your goal? What would you be trying to accomplish? Just to make people laugh? Yeah, probably. Are you just trying to entertain yourself? That's part of it. I don't have a problem doing that though. Like, I would try to get Hugh Freeze to slide into my direct messages. That doesn't take a whole lot of effort. Doesn't take a whole lot of effort, but it, it can be done. And I would also try to get Kevin Durant to use one of his burner accounts to attack one of my burner accounts. Burnerception. I might try to get someone to investigate my anonymous Twitter account. Go around it's the state. The, uh, again, they, they, these are all options that are available to you. <laughs> they are all options that are available. I think we could have fun with this. Although it's not a secret anymore because we're just yeah. spilling it out over the airwaves. So, well, we did have a guy pretend to, to be us to to break news. Remember That's that, right. hey Dad? We did. We did. For Quandary Weatherspoon was going to miss the tournament. <laughs> Old Quandary. I had a parody hey, by the way that I ran for a, like a few weeks, but that's a lot of work. It's tough to come up with something funny every day, and I just got tired of it and said the heck with it. The um, insurgent warfare and football strategy class is happening. Yeah. At Washington State, first meeting of the class uh, happened uh, a couple of weeks ago. In fact, the, the athletic uh, had someone that was there. If uh, if you want to read how the first class went, see, we Moorhead probably should that. have audited that class. Moorhead was an English teacher. He's got a, a a degree in English. He's taught. He could teach a class at state. That would be interesting. Oh, hold on a second. There are lots of coaches that could teach a class. No, I mean, like an there interesting many... class. I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, they could teach PE or, you know, coaching English football. lit is not anything that anybody's all that interested in unless you're an English major. Even English majors insurgent aren't interested warfare. in English. That's probably a good point. No, seriously, insurgent warfare and football strategy taught by Mike Leach? You got I wonder how many people they had to turn away. Who were trying to enroll in that class? I imagine it filled up pretty quick. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Leach thought that people would be somewhat interested in the idea. This other guy, Senator Baumgartner, thought people would be really interested in it and said, tweet it out. They set the over under for likes at 100. Baumgartner thought that that number would be far exceeded. Mike Leach was not ready to venture that that high and took the under. The tweet back in November, November 28th, was, Hey, WSU students, I'm thinking about teaching an evening seminar class next semester with my friend Senator Baumgartner. Leadership lessons in insurgent warfare and football strategy would meet once a week for about six weeks. Would this be of interest? The tweet got more than 44,000 likes. It is a non-credit-receiving seminar class. They only accepted 40 students. And to get into the class, or to be accepted into the class, you had to write two essays 
neither exceeding 200 words to answer two questions. This was how they called the number. Are right, you ready for the questions? Isn't an essay not exceeding 200 words a bit of an oxymoron? Yes, it is. It's, it's like not a tweet. That's a paragraph. Essay. It's a paragraph. It's an essay question, not an actual essay. They didn't have to get blue books for this, I don't think, and write with number two pencils. Question number one. Can the British strategy and the Malaya insurgency be used today? Question number two. Is the wishbone a viable offense for the NFL? Why or why not? That's so awesome. That I don't know about the wishbone, over- but that, the British thing is, is, is a great question. No, I don't. I don't, I don't know anything about the British thing. <laughs> I was about to say, oh, yeah, what's your answer? Yes. <laughs> the, this this freshman girl at Washington State said, I had friends who go to other schools texting me asking if I was going to take this class. People think it's pretty incredible. Said she spent days reading up on both the British strategy and the wishbone offense in order to put together her essays. And when she finally turned them in, she felt anxious. She said, I freaked out when I found out. I called my parents. I called everyone. That's a fascinating guy. Really an interesting guy. Well, what's your answer to the second one? Could the wishbone work in the NFL today? No. I would have written, if Mike Leach ran it, yes. What does that guy know about running the football? Well, I mean, you know, you want nuance. I would say conceptually, yes, but in practicality, no, because the players are too athletic on the defensive side. You would have to throw at some point just to stop that athletic defense from running downhill constantly. Well, and part of the success that you saw at Georgia Tech and at Army and at you know other places, there aren't very many that still run the wishbone, is it's not an offense that is seen on a week-in, week-out basis. So teams are catching teams that run the wishbone on a one-off in the middle of their season, and they have only like three days to prepare for it? And that's pretty hard to do. Yeah. If it's a widespread phenomenon and the full-time job of people to stop it, they'll figure out a way to stop it. That and the NFL players are much more disciplined, much more intelligent. You you can teach them gap responsibility, stopping a wishbone in a week, whereas college it's a little bit more difficult. That kind of thing. Uh, Jamie in Oxford says the train has derailed. It's not that the train has derailed. Jamie, I just I wanted to try something. I, I just thought that kind of starting with our conversation with Ryan Brown and kind of how that interview went, we would just talk and see where it went. I want to know I what kind of class you would from teach. A, uh, say again. I want to know what kind of class you would teach if somebody offered you, you had to teach a class on the thing you know the most about in life. Could be anything: TV shows, music, whatever. The thing you know most about in life, what would that be? Pocket squares. (laughs) (laughs) Men's fashion. I'll tell you what it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be on music or TV shows. (laughs) Because clearly, I'm not at the top of the list on that. I I have actually given some thought. I have long thought that I would 
love to teach a college class. And I've kind of explored that idea a couple of times, but I don't have a master's degree, so it makes it a little more hard and trying to make the time work out and all that good stuff. Um, here's what I know for sure. Regardless of the class, whether it was an introduction to journalism class or a, some sort of a broadcasting class or whatever, every single class would begin with a current events quiz. And I don't know if students would love me or hate me for that, but a significant portion of your grade would be based on that. That was one of the one of the journalism classes I took in college. One of the better teachers that I have, Ralph Brassett, taught it. That was how every single class began. There were like two or three websites slash newspapers you were supposed to read every single day. And just, know, I mean, you didn't have to read every article, but you had to know the headlines and know what was going on. And it was a 10 question quiz, current events quiz, at the start of every single class. And it factored into your grade. I would 100% do that if I was teaching. And Borky, I don't know what the content of the class is. But you'd want to take my class. Oh, I would. I feel, I feel, com- yeah, I feel, com- I mean, if you were still in school, I feel confident in saying that. Yeah. Well, the current events thing, especially with people nowadays, you'd have to ask a lot of like Ariana Grande uh, engagement or broken off engagement no, questions to get people to actually know what you were asking. No, I wouldn't. I would ask real news, current events questions, combination of news, sports, pop culture, entertainment, well, and stock market. Well, you're, you're missing my point. I mean that as in nobody will be able to answer a current political events quiz because nobody knows what the heck's going on anymore. That's the point. That's why I would do this in the class. So we would do one on the very first day of class. I would ask 10 questions. Most people would get three or four of them right. Nobody would probably get all 10 of them right. They would see what their grades are, and I would tell them on the first day of class, this is what we're going to do to start every single class. And here's where you'll get your information. And it's going to make up 30% of your grade for the semester. You can decide whether to come to class, and you can decide whether to study for the quiz. Well, if you want to be the well-liked professor, that's not the way to go about it. That's a real, real, real easy way to get off to a good start. 30% 30% of your grade, all you got to do is look at the headlines on two websites and one newspaper site? If the class is engaging, people will go to class. I had the most fun. You, you disagree? I ever, no, I had the most fun I ever had in college. And I've always wanted to be in sports media my entire life since I was a young child that knew what sportscasters were. It's what I wanted to do. And the most fun I ever had in college was not... Uh, writing for the newspaper or, or doing TV stuff. It was astronomy, where we went into a lab at 8 o'clock at night and looked up into telescopes, and, and we talked about universes and stuff. Because, one, we got to go do it and physically look at it, but the guy was really interesting. And that was the most fun I ever high. had. Problem, you know. Maybe so. I got a text from a friend of mine. He said, find somebody that is actually taking that class at Washington State and see if we can get them on the show. Borky, your assignment, <laughs> should you choose to accept it. I'll do my best. 601-879-4395. That's the number for the C Spire text line. We'll, we'll get somewhat back on, the, on course in the next little bit. Buzz Williams has officially been named the head coach at Texas A&M. Some Ole Miss basketball news. 
Um, there were some names that popped up over the weekend, over the last couple of days, that are now in the transfer portal, in addition to guys that are graduating. And it makes you think the Ole Miss basketball roster, team that made it to the NCAA tournament this year, is going to look a lot different next year. How different? Sports Talk Mississippi with you. More coming up in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Sports Talk Mississippi, Wednesday afternoon with you, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank, where they finance and refinance land, and it's not a new thing. They've been financing land at Mississippi Land Bank for over 100 years. It's what they do. They do it for families, for individuals, and for groups who are trying to purchase rural land and need to finance the purchase. Also, financing and refinancing solutions for improvements to your property, for equipment to maintain the property, loans for production, livestock, and other related financial needs. Branch offices in Senatobia, Clarksdale, Cleveland, Indianola, all those in the Delta, Northeast Mississippi, Corinth, Tupelo, you've got New Albany, Starkville, Kosciuszko, and Louisville as well. That's Mississippi Land Bank, mslandbank.com. Glad to have you along this afternoon. You can text the show on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Right now it's time for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out about all they've got to offer cars, trucks, and SUVs at your local Ford dealer. And test drive one today. The spring savings sale is on. Great financing rates and a chance for you to save cash on the Ford of your dreams. All right, let's dive in. Yesterday there was a media opportunity uh, for both Ole Miss and Mississippi State after practice ended. Ole Miss has their spring game, the Grove Bowl, coming up on Saturday. Mississippi State's maroon and white game will be one week from Saturday. So let's start there. Um, hey, Dad, what did you learn post-practice yesterday in Starkville? Got my first opportunity to talk to, uh, to Terry Richardson, the new uh, running backs coach and assistant head coach uh, at Mississippi State. Um, and, of course, he likes his group. And, and what, what's not to like with Kylan Hill, who I think will be one of the better running backs in the SEC this year. Uh, you like He likes Nick Gibson, who I think has done pretty well in the limited opportunities he's gotten. Now, they don't have a lot of depth this spring because, uh, you know, they just, they just don't. So they had to move Alec Murphy who was a running back two years ago, who played linebacker last season. Now he's back at running back, just I think more for depth purposes. I think he'll be a, a special teams contributor, but I don't, I don't see him getting into the mix uh, as far as carries go. So, you know, he How likes that carries group. you think Kylan Hill gets this year? Well, that's the question, right? And I asked him that. I said, you know, as, as politically correct as he could make it, I said, you know, do you think he'll have a bigger role this year? And he, he said he, he thought he would. I mean, he should be getting 15 to 20 carries a game, if, if not more. So, I mean, I'd like to say the correct answer is going to be 200 to 250. But, I mean, I have reason to pause. How many did he have last year? Less. Less than that. Uh, he had, oh gosh, hold on. I'd have to look it up. I, I, I'll it. pull it up. You you continue with that train of thought, and I'll pull up the stats. So, he, you know, he thinks he's going to be a bigger part of this offense. He needs to be a bigger part of this offense. Uh to, to make it move forward. And the other thing I asked him about, and I asked Keaton Thompson about is, you know, 
the, this team is, it, you know, they lost a lot of leadership. I mean, Fitzgerald, Gary Green, you're both your captains. Uh, you know, Sweat, Simmons, Abram, uh, Jenkins. Those were those were big time leaders in the locker room. So I asked both of those guys because honestly, they're going to be the stars, especially offensively. You know, have you taken a little bit more of a, of a leadership role this spring? Are you being more vocal? And they both said that they are. Um, and I think they're going to have to be because those are the two guys that not only have to lead, you know, by example off the field, they need to lead by example on it. So uh, for Mississippi State, you now there's so many question marks offensively. You know, who's going to be the quarterback? Can they do better in the passing game? Will Kylan Hill be more of an off, more part of the offense this year? Uh, and they, you know, they need to start answering those questions in, in a few weeks, and then as we get into the off season, that, that's that, that's what's going to be what determines whether or not Mississippi State can you know improve upon what looks like right now to be a transition year and where you know a year where they might be six and six seven and five and that might be the ceiling all right let's play with the numbers for a second kylan hill had 117 carries in 11 games last year so out of 13 games he played in 11 right that's a little better than 10 and a half carries per game mm-hmm. he had 104 fewer carries than nick fitzgerald Right. Nick Fitzgerald had 221 carries. Kylan Hill averaged 6.3 yards per carry. Fitzgerald averaged 5.1. Here's my question. Mm-hmm. If you flip-flopped the numbers, if Nick Fitzgerald had had 117 carries and Kylan Hill had had 221 carries, what would Mississippi State's record have been last year? 9-3 and three at worst, been in the regular season. Maybe 10-2. and two. I think Which outcomes would, does it change? They lost twenty-eight to seven Florida, to Kentucky. They lost thirteen to six to Florida. Florida, and, and this is going to sound weird, but maybe LSU because if you're focusing on the running game with Kylan Hill, maybe Nick Fitzgerald doesn't throw four interceptions and keep giving LSU the ball. You know, Kentucky. I'm not, three I'm not, was the I'm, final in that game. Yeah, I'm not really willing to say Kentucky because that game was twenty-eight to seven, and Benny Snell played so well in that game. They might have been closer, but I mean, I'm not willing to say that a twenty-one point loss. I'm not willing to just write that off the board on the back of Kylan Hill getting more carries. But State's offensive game plan was so. But wasn't that game fourteen to seven in the fourth quarter? It, it was. It was, and it got away from State because they kept turning the ball over. Um, I mean, but I just say it's twenty-eight-seven. I'm, I'm willing to, you know, we can leave that be. Florida for sure is, okay. is is one that's really obvious to me. And like I said with LSU, you know, they kept throwing the football despite the fact that Fitzgerald clearly wasn't on that night, and he and he ran the ball so much that night, and they just they wouldn't give the ball to Hill or Williams, you know. And for for me, I think that game could have been turned around with a different game plan. Okay, interesting stuff there. Rippy, what'd you learn post practice yesterday at Ole Miss? Cavante Ruggs, uh, rising sophomore linebacker, suspended indefinitely. They didn't really go into a ton of detail. Um, we'll have a chance to come back. But a guy that drew the I mean, opening game started linebacker, knocked himself out of the game on a kickoff with a concussion, came back, played well in spurts, and then towards the year kind of faded. So, um, you know, I, that's definitely something to monitor. And then. Really, not a ton after that. I mean, the court. I mean, we already knew this, but like the quarterback room's super young. I talked to. We talked to Grant Tisdale, who talked a little bit about how Matt Corral is the de facto old guy in the room, even though he's a redshirt freshman and he's literally the only one with any sort of game experience. Um, they'll go offense versus defense in the Grove Bowl Saturday, which I don't think is any surprise. They don't really have the depth to do like a two-team type scrimmage thing right now. 
So it'll be one of those things where defense gets points on the board and offense tries to catch up or whatever. When's oh. the last time that Ole Miss had a spring game where they had a scrimmage? Like, split the team in half and played one team against the other team. Was Houston Nutt, maybe? I'm not... Hugh Freeze never did that, did he? I don't think so. Did Houston Nutt, do you recall? I, I there, There's not a lot that I remember from the Houston Nutt era. Especially Probably not a lot that he remembers from that era, either. <laughs> other than being disparaged. But yes, so... um. Other than that, I mean, dynamite drop in, Monty. We're all going to get sued because y'all keep taking shots at Houston Nut. When we get sued, I, I don't want to be a part of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was that was really about it. They're banged up. A lot of green jerseys are going around in, in practice. Um, you know, not a ton of depth on the offensive line. They got seven newcomers coming in the fall, so they're trying to make do there, get some guys some experience. But that's really about it. A- any any thoughts from? players on kind of the way the installation is going for for new systems i think it's new offensive coordinator new defensive coordinator are they just drinking out of a fire hose right now yeah i mean rich rodriguez described it as swimming a while back they're all just kind of swimming i think that as far as installation i still think it's in like beginning stages with a lot to be done probably this summer sometime in the off season things like that so they've got some of it in but i, I would say like if I had to put a percentage on it as a guess, I'd say like less than forty. I, I'm not being flippant when I say this. It's just I'm, I'm using his words, and, and I think I'm on record as saying that I I like Phil Longo. He and I had a good relationship. But going into the final week of spring, I mean, after the first week of spring, he said they had fully installed the offense, and then they were reinstalling it like two or three more times, just going back over it. It's an altogether different installation process, right? Yeah, there's routes, um, <laughs> so among other things. So, I read a piece uh, in the Athletic talking? today. I mean, it's it's been a common theme, but I, I read a piece in the Athletic today, and the more I read, the more I wonder what Mac Brown was thinking. It was the Bowling Green Google offensive production type thing. Hmm. He would have recruited DK. What else? What other? What else can you come up with? Matt Brown sings like a Bing guy, so maybe he binged it. I'm not sure. (laughs) Rippy, the shots are coming. (laughs) But then another question is why is Bing Maps is pretty good? Yeah, never use Bing Maps. Sorry, Borky. Go ahead. No, it's a little late now. I'm just another angle is what was Hugh Freeze thinking? I know he was the primary play caller, but goodness. That's your college football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Let's check in on the C Spire text line. 601-879-4395. Do you want to own the Galaxy? For a limited time, buy the brand brand new Samsung Galaxy S10 with C Spire and get one free. Get the best Galaxy experience on the best network, now with twice the nationwide LTE. C Spire, customer inspired. So a couple of different things. Donald in Oxford says, there are routes. I snorted and my eight-year-old laughed too. Well, y'all didn't let me finish. 
No, you really didn't need to go any farther. Yeah, that's I guess about it. it's the idea that I was going to go further, but I guess there's good point. There are routes. Richard from Wigan says Rippy is on fire. Um, this was six hundred one number. State would have beaten Florida if Osiris Stonehands Mitchell would have caught that pass. Then they're nine and three. We wouldn't throw. We couldn't throw accurately. So if the running back forces the D to respect the run, the QB still has to hit receivers that can actually catch passes. I mean that's accurate in, in a sense, but at the same time, you know, State was much better offensively the season before, and they just handed the ball off Terrace Williams or let Fitzgerald run it, and they didn't throw the ball very much at all. So, mm-hmm. Kylan Hill was the best playmaker on the offense. So to, to not feature him was – I don't want to steal Rippy's word, so I need to come up with a different one. But it, it, it was not a wise decision. You can't blame not giving your electric running back touches on a wide receiver that's not producing. Right. I said, it, it, they're, 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 they don't have to be mutually exclusive. You know, he could have caught that pass, and yeah, maybe the game is different, sure. But you could have sealed that up a lot easier by just – giving the ball to the best playmaker you had more than – I mean, without looking, I'm going to assume Kylan Hill had seven touches in that game. Um, Also on the C Spire text line from Lisa in Oxford, listen to your show on my way home in the afternoon, never hear anything about the Ole Miss softball team. They're having a great season this year. Thought they need a shout-out from y'all. Took two or three from Florida over the weekend, including a walk-off grand slam in one of those games and beat the brakes off of Belmont last night in Nashville. And I was looking for a softball top 25 poll. I do not have that in front of me, but I think I read somewhere today that Ole Miss is now in the top 10 in the country. Is that accurate? Do you know that, Rippy? Not right off. I just thought maybe you had seen that somewhere as uh, as well. Uh, 11-1 to last night over Belmont. So we'll work on the polls and get that to you in uh, in just a bit. Um, USA Today poll has them 18th. 18th? Yeah. Okay, so not in the top 10. No. 18, top 20, that's pretty good as well. That's good. Yeah. Um, so let's see, was there anything else on the C Spire text line to get to? A couple of things that jumped out at me. Um Nothing that we'll get to right now. We might circle back to that in a bit. So, Michael, you threw this out there. Uh, we were talking about basketball coaches in the SEC. This is always kind of a fun ex- exercise. You add Buzz Williams. Uh, you've added Nate Oates. Arkansas apparently having some conversations with Eric Musselman. There's some other names that have been associated with the Arkansas job. No announcements from there yet. We'll wait and see with, uh, with LSU. Vanderbilt, is it official with Jerry Stackhouse? Yesterday they were negotiating terms of a contract. So they're down that road, but official word is not out there. Okay. So we'll uh, we'll hold off on that as well. Um, but you threw out the idea of Borky. If you Borky, you threw out the idea of if you combine football and basketball from a coaching standpoint. What's the best one-two punch, the best coaching combo in the SEC? By the way, Ole Miss softball 
In the NFCA coaches poll, ranked 18th. In the USA softball poll, ranked 17th. And in Softball America, ranked 10th. So, kind of like baseball. you got a bunch of polls out there in a different spot. But uh, top 20 consensus in all the polls. Good to know. And uh, series coming up with Kentucky, I think, for them as well. All right, so think about that for a second. If you say football coach and basketball coach, best combo in the SEC, where do you start? I mean, there's no argument that Nick Saban is the best football coach in the SEC. But because Nate Oates is brand new and he's an unknown, you probably would not put that at number one. Although Nick Saban with six national championships certainly carries a lot of weight. What about after that? You start looking around. People are big fans of Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. So you got Jimbo and now Buzz Williams. Buzz Williams hasn't done anything at A&M yet, but he's had a lot of success at Marquette, had a lot of success at Virginia Tech, just parlayed it into a new job. Kirby Smart at Georgia is a name that some people would put at the top of the list on the football side of things. But can you really stick Tom Crean there when they just had the season that they had? Yeah, see, I think this year more than ever, this kind of thing is is really good because Tom Crean won. I mean, he won a conference championship at Indiana. Look at what Indiana has been since he left. Uh, so, yes, this was a really bad year, but... All arrows point to him being able to manage this. He's bringing in the number one recruit in the country. He'll probably be fine. But the question's right now, isn't it? How's it not Buzz and Jimbo? It's got to be Buzz and Jimbo. Because, I mean, look at Virginia Tech before Buzz Williams took over and, and what he made them become in a conference that features Duke and North Carolina and Syracuse, for that matter. What about Gus and Bruce at Auburn? I'm just not a big balls on fan. The, Gus, the, the guy that year. they almost spent forty million to have him not coach there. I understand. I, I you know, I've, also I've played in a national it. championship game. He has played in one, and that's but that's the outlier. You know, the rest of the time he's been a eight, seven, eight win coach. All right, what about Kentucky? Ah. Mark Stoops, John Calipari. It's a sneaky one, good combo. Mean, on. One good year. One good year at Kentucky. I'm not putting that guy in the discussion. He hadn't had a bad year at Kentucky either, though. Well, I mean, I guess outside of Vanderbilt, the... it's the toughest place to consistently win in the SEC, isn't it? Well, yes. I mean, that's great and all, but he's not. I mean, what has he done? He's had one great year. One. I'm not going to put yeah, him in the. But, same but they've discussion. gotten better each year. I mean, I, I see that. We'll see what happens this year. They're going to take a step back. Probably so. That's what a about hard Florida? place to win, Kentucky. I mean, it's, it's a hard place to win, but at the same time, you're in the SEC East. You should be able to beat Vanderbilt, Missouri pretty regularly. Your, your, one of your, your West permanent is, is Mississippi State, who's dominated that series, but, I mean, it, not that long ago it was a toss-up. You, you should be able to win seven games on the regular there. Why should they beat Missouri every year? Because I think they're better than Missouri. I don't. I don't, I don't think Missouri's very good. In, but in what way? See, see, I think Kentucky and Missouri, as far as jobs and, and ability to be good every year, are basically equal. I don't agree with that, but okay. What, why not? I, I just I don't see Missouri as a consistent uh, seven-win team. I just don't. I don't think Barry Odom's a very good coach, and you know. 
think they've been you know they were sort of carried by Drew Locke these past couple of years. I think this year Kelly Bryant. I think that's going to be a downgrade for them, and they'll they'll take a step back. What about Dan Mullen and Mike White at Florida? Mullen is the stronger of the two, but White's been good. It's been to an Elite Eight and, what, round of 32 this year's made the NCAA tournament three straight years? Is that right? That should be right, yeah. So, you know, we're kind of waiting to see where Dan Mullen takes the football program at Florida. And I think Michael White is Mike White's kind of an underrated coach. So uh, Elite Eight three years ago, round of 32 each of the last two years in his four seasons. And he had an NIT in his first year in Gainesville. Who are we missing? South Carolina? Frank Martin, Will Muschamp? No. We're not missing anything there. We didn't have it for long, but is there a bigger discrepancy than Rick Barnes and Butch Jones? <laughs> <laughs> That's a wide gap. And, and, and then, okay, now, now the Mississippi Well, schools. I mean, between Saban and whoever at Alabama is, is wide as well, obviously. Yeah. Joe Moorhead going into year two. Ben Howland going into year five in Starkville. You got one bowl game for Joe Moorhead, but most people say they underachieved. And Ben Howland, in his fourth season at Mississippi State, got Mississippi State to the NCAA tournament. Too early to tell, I would say there. Yeah, And I'd say too early to tell in Oxford as well, because you're still relatively new. You've got one full season of Matt Luke after an interim season, and you've got Kermit Davis one year. Obviously, the one year, the results were really, really good. But there's not enough data there to put either of those two into a top five conversation, at least not right now, from a combo. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. A Supertalk Mississippi media production.